The Springboks have won the Rugby World Cup three times, but which one of those was the best? Today you are going to get a front row seat as I compare the 1995 and 2007 tournaments. We'll look back at the matches, the opposition, the difficulty and the pre-tournament expectations. At the end of the video, I will also select a combined dream team of the 95 and 07 Springbok squads. Let's get started. Let's start with the pre-tournament expectations. Australia came into the tournament in 1995 as the favourites, no doubt about it. The Wallabies were the defending champions and they had also won nine in a row and that unbeaten streak had lasted for more than a year. England were also right up there. They were the Five Nations champions and had won 11 out of their last 13. Oh, and when they won the Five Nations, they did so by achieving a Grand Slam. The Springboks were as likely as France and New Zealand to win the Webb Ellis Cup that year. France had won 8 of their last 13 test matches, while the All Blacks, surprisingly, had only won 3 of their last 7 tests. South Africa had won 6 from their last 10. South Africa's toughest task would be facing the defending champion Wallabies in the opening match of the tournament at Newlands in Cape Town. That would be their toughest pool opponent. Now defeat would almost certainly mean a meeting against England in the quarterfinals. So I think it's fair to say that a quarterfinal was probably a certainty for the Springbok team, but anything beyond that would largely depend on the draw. How about 2007? Well, New Zealand entered the tournament as the favourites, as they seemingly always do. The All Blacks had won 18 of their last 20 test matches coming into that World Cup. Host nation France were also one of the contenders. Les Bleus had won two Six Nations Championships in a row and had won 14 of their last 19 test matches. Australia were in quite a good space as well, having won 12 out of 19, and in my opinion, the Wallabies are always one of the contenders for the World Cup. And certainly when they're the underdogs, they're still dangerous. Ireland had a similar record coming into the tournament, and were runners-up two years in a row in the Six Nations, and had won consecutive triple crowns. Defending champions England were not considered contenders for the title, having lost 14 of their last 19. As for the Springboks, they were probably in that Australia-Ireland bracket, having won 11 of their last 21. But they had won 6 of their last 9. And it is worth pointing out that injuries caused a lot of disruption in 2006, which resulted in some heavy defeats and probably more losses than they otherwise would have encountered. The box would have England in their pool, certainly in theory the most difficult opponent in the group stage, and then likely a quarterfinal against Wales. So I think it's fair to say that a quarterfinal as a minimum is what the expectation was from the 07 Springboks, probably a semi-final. I think it's fair to say that the 2007 Springboks had an easier pool than the team of 1995. In 95, the box had to contend with the world champion Wallabies. Remember, they were on a nine-match hot streak and hadn't lost for a year. Canada were quarter-finalists in 1991, so they were going to be no pushovers. And Romania rounded out the pool, and you could probably say that that one was the one sure thing for the box. 
In 07, England were the biggest obstacle in the pool stage, and yes, they were the defending champions, but it has to be said that they had lost 14 of their last 19 coming into the tournament, plus the box had put 50 points past them twice earlier in the year, and I know that it was a bit of a B team that England sent to South Africa, but the Springboks had also beaten them at Twickenham the year before, so there were three wins in a row coming into that pool match, and then of course, as we know, they annihilated them 36-0 but we'll come to that in a moment. They would also have Samoa and Tonga in their pool, two tough tackling Pacific Island nations who give you one hell of a workout, it must be said, but also teams that South Africa should be beating every day of the week. And then the United States of America rounded out the pool. The 1995 Springboks started the tournament at Newlands in Cape Town against Australia. Now, it was a bit of a nervous start, it has to be said. The first 20 minutes, I think the Aussies were on top. But then the nerves settled, the box became more comfortable, and the confidence began to grow. And then we had that famous moment. When Peter Hendricks rounded the famous Wallaby wing David Campisi to go and score South Africa's first try at a Rugby World Cup. The confidence began to ooze for the Springboks, who ultimately completed a 27-18 victory. We would then go on to face Romania. Kitch Christie made several changes, giving debuts to some of the players, some of the younger guys in the squad, and also giving opportunities to players that were not expected to play in the quarters, semis and final, for example. We laboured to a 21-8 victory. And then, in what became known as the Battle of Butte Rasmus, we completed a 20-0 victory over Canada, a match that became known for Peter Hendricks being cited and James Dalton sent off. Both of those players, well, their World Cup was over after that match, and it put a black mark on the Springboks' disciplinary record. Now that is important, as we will find out a little bit later. The 07 Springboks started beautifully. Brian Abana helping himself to four tries. We won 59-7, and we were up and running. Next up was that 36-0 annihilation of England, I've said this before, I don't think we've ever seen a more perfect performance from the Springboks. We did everything correctly that night. I don't think we made a mistake. JP Peterson scored two tries and a special mention to Fareed Dupria who put on a masterclass. Maybe the greatest performance we've seen from an individual Springbok in a test match. He was brilliant. That was followed by Jake White making several changes against Tonga, a match that we should win anyway, but the Springboks ran into trouble. Yes, we won 30-25, but at one stage the Tongans had taken the lead. Well, White emptied his bench, this was before the bomb squad era it must be said, but players like John Smith, Victor Matfield and Percy Montgomery came onto the field and just got us back into the lead, established the advantage, but the Tongans came back again. And but for the bounce of the ball right at the end, they may have secured a draw or even a famous upset victory. But they didn't, so it doesn't matter. And then the United States of America were put away 64-15, a match probably only notable for a beautiful try that the Americans scored, finished off by Takudzwa Nguenya, their Zimbabwean-born winger who rounded Brian Habana to go and score. Probably the most famous moment in his career. Do you really know your rugby? Do you always get your predictions right? Why not make some money then? Open an account right now with Tic Tac Bets and get up to 2,000 Rand and 20 spins with your first deposit. The link is appearing on your screen and I'll also put it in the description area. 
Please note that this is an affiliate link and I will make a little commission on it. Winners know when to stop. National Responsible Gambling Program. Toll-free helpline 0800-006-008. No persons under the age of 18 years are permitted to gamble. Let's move on to the quarterfinals. In 1995, South Africa, now without Peter Hendricks and James Dalton, were able to call in replacements. And that meant Chester Williams came to the fore. Now this is significant because Chester was the only non-white player in the team. He was also one of the key players involved in the pre-tournament marketing. His face was on billboards and magazines before the event. So a hamstring injury suffered on the eve of the tournament was really a blow, not only to Chester, not only to the Springboks, but also to the organizers. However, Chester was back. He took his place against Western Samoa at Ellis Park in Johannesburg, and he announced himself in glorious fashion, scoring four tries as the box completed a 42-14 win. We were 23-0 ahead at halftime. A good win for the box. The match was also notable for an injury to Andre Hubert. A devastating Mike Umanga tackle left Andre with a broken hand. He would play the rest of the tournament with a special glove. They would move on to face France in the semi-finals after the French defeated Ireland in the quarters. Elsewhere, world champions Australia, who remember we had beaten in the opening game of the tournament, were eliminated from the competition. They lost to England thanks to an extra-time drop goal from Rob Andrew. And the All Blacks, who were looking unstoppable at that stage, steamrolled their way over Scotland in a high-scoring 48-30 quarter-final victory. The 2007 Springboks were actually caught by surprise. Jake White and his team were preparing to face Wales in the quarterfinals. But the Welsh were upset in the pool stage by Fiji, and so the box would have to take on the Fijians in the quarters instead. Now even though the box had established a good lead, Fiji actually came storming back and leveled the scores early in the second half. But credit to the box, they tightened up, none of this throwing the ball around in the back line and encouraging the Fijian stuff, and completed a 37-20 victory over the Pacific Island nation in Marseille. They would move on to face Argentina in the semi-finals. Elsewhere, it was almost as if the road to the Webb Ellis Cup had been blown wide open for South Africa. The All Blacks were shocked in the quarterfinals by underwhelming host nation France. 2018 was the score. Was there a forward pass from Freddie Michelac? TMO says no. Okay, okay, I know there was no TMO in those days to check such things, but it doesn't matter. The All Blacks were out. Australia were also eliminated. They were beaten, surprisingly actually, by England, who had regrouped and put in a bloody-minded performance to force their way past the Aussies, 12-6. The 1995 Springboks would face France in their semi-final in Durban, a city that gets summer rains, not really winter rains. But on this occasion, it was as if it was monsoon season in Durban. The pitch was drenched, it was waterlogged. The referee deemed it unsafe to play at one stage. The ground staff did everything in their power to get rid of the excess water. And when you watch the match back, you'll see that there were puddles everywhere. It even looked like there were dams on the field. Lakes, even. Now, what is significant here is that if referee Derek Bevan had decided to call the match off on the grounds that it would be too dangerous for the players, 
France would have advanced to the final because South Africa had an inferior disciplinary record. Remember what I told you about Peter Hendricks and James Dalton? The French had had no sendings off or sightings. The match is also notable for a French supposed try that was scored near the end. The Springbok brick wall defence kept the French out, but there was something that happened. If you look at the TV replays, it really does look as if France got over our try line. To his credit, their eighth man, Abdelatif Benazi, did say in an interview later that the ball was short. And that is good enough for me. Never mind the fact that Louis Late, the president of the South African Rugby Football Union at the time, attempted to award referee Derek Bevan with a gold watch at the end of the tournament. To his credit, Bevan declined the offer. Next up, it would be New Zealand in the final. Jonah Lomu literally ran over the English defenders in a 45-29 demolition job in Cape Town. Now, the 2007 box would face Argentina in the semi-finals. That is a match that you would expect the South Africans to win, and they rightfully started as favourites. But it should be noted that Los Pumas were having the best World Cup in their history up until that stage. They'd never been to the semis before. Well, they'd also never topped their pool before when they did that by beating the host nation France in the opening match. That was an upset. And then they beat Ireland as well to ensure top spot, and they advanced to the quarterfinals where they took care of business against Scotland. But speaking of taking care of business, that is exactly what the Springboks did against the Argentines in that semi-final. Brian Abana scoring two tries as we won easily 37-13. We were on our way to the final where we would be playing England. The English had pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. After that 36-0 annihilation in the pool stage, they forced their way over the line against Australia in the quarterfinal. And then they achieved victory against the host nation France in the semi-final. But no doubt the box were going to start that match as the favourites. Speaking of favourites, New Zealand entered the 1995 World Cup final as just that. Not that South Africa were overwhelming underdogs, of course we were in with a chance, but the All Blacks were the favourites. They had become this attacking force at the World Cup and their prowess was on display for all to see. In fact, so much so that the 45-29 semi-final win over England at Newlands was the closest margin that an opponent had come to New Zealand at that tournament. That is a 16-point difference. That is how strong New Zealand were in 1995. And so the final really was going to be a case of an irresistible force versus an immovable object. The box had conceded only five tries all tournament, and two of those came in the opening match against Australia. Two more of them came in the quarterfinal against Western Samoa, and we also kept a clean sheet against Canada. Put another way, when two elephants meet, it's the grass that suffers. And so the final was a titanic clash between these two traditional rugby foes. I think it's fair to say that South Africa were the better team on the day. New Zealand only really broke through two first-time tackles, and both of those came in the first 20 minutes. South Africa also scored a try, although referee Ed Morrison ruled it out. Now, if we look at what happened, the final score was 15-12. The match had gone into extra time. And had that try been awarded, the score might have been something like 16-9 after 80 minutes. And that, truth be told, may have told a more accurate story. However, guys, 
if that try had been awarded, we would not have had extra time most likely, and then we would have been robbed of that iconic Joel Stransky drop goal moment. Would we really want that? And who could forget President Nelson Mandela coming out before the match, famously wearing Francois Pinot's number six Springbok jersey. Similarly, who can ever forget Madiba handing the trophy over to Francois Pinot, and when Francois hoisted the Webb Ellis Cup into the air, Madiba pumped the air with his fists in joyous celebration. What a moment! In contrast, the 2007 Springboks entered the World Cup final as the favourites. Now, coach Jake White was at pains to point out in the week leading up, almost every day actually, that England were the favourites. White's argument was that they were the defending champions and therefore had more experience when it came to winning the tournament. However, no one was buying that narrative. The reality is that the box had beaten England four times in a row leading up to that moment. One of those was at Twickenham the year before. Two of those were 50-point victories in South Africa earlier that year. Now, I know that England brought a bit of a B-team to South Africa, but nevertheless. There was also that magnificent 36-0 annihilation in the pool stage. There was no way that you could argue that England were the favourites. And South Africa duly delivered. 15-6 was the final score, the box played quite a safe match, it has to be said, risk-free, and they just made sure that they got the W, as people like to say these days. I'd like to point out at this stage that there are some Englishmen who feel aggrieved at a Mark Cueto try that was ruled out by the referee. Not so fast. If we look at the TV replays, you can clearly see that Cueto's left foot was in touch before he was able to dot down. So, no try, therefore, no debate. One of the great moments in the aftermath of the victory, in my opinion, and I thought it was a lovely touch, was when French President Nicolas Sarkozy invited our president, Thabo Mbeki, to hand the Webb Ellis Cup over to John Smith. These days, it's traditional for the head of state of a country to hand the trophy to the winning captain. But I thought it was really, really nice of Sarkozy, a really nice gesture actually, of him to ask our president to do the honours. So what was ultimately the difference between the two World Cup victories? I think it's fair to say that neither Springbok team entered the tournament as the outright favourites. But the 1995 team had arguably the more difficult pool. The defending champions were in their pool, just like in 07 the defending champions were in the Springbok pool as well. The difference being that England were kind of in disarray, whereas Australia had won nine in a row and hadn't lost a match for more than a year. The 1995 team also took out France in the semis, who were one of the best teams at the tournament, and then of course that famous win over the All Blacks in the final. If you look at what happened in 07, the draw almost opened up for South Africa. Wales were beaten in the quarterfinals by Fiji, so that threw a little bit of a spanner in the works in terms of Jake White's preparation. I think it's fair to say we would have beaten Wales anyway, but then of course we beat Fiji as we had to. And then Argentina in the semi-finals and England in the final. And honestly, after the All Blacks and Wallabies were eliminated in the quarterfinals, it really did feel as if it was something of a procession. That is not to take away from the stellar achievement of winning a Rugby World Cup. Winning the Webb Ellis Cup is always special, regardless of what your draw is like. And as I've said before, New Zealand losing in the quarterfinals, Australia losing in the quarterfinals, France, the host nation, putting in an underwhelming performance despite being the Six Nations champions. 
it's not our problem. And for what it's worth, I cried when we won the Rugby World Cup in 1995, but I didn't cry when we won in 07. Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? You can click on my Patreon link, I'll put it on the screen as well as in the description box, and there will be great benefits for members. Okay, let's pick a combined Springbok team now from 1995 and 2007. And even though the benches and the bomb squad weren't really a big thing, especially in 1995, when you could only come onto the field in the event of an injury, I'm going to pick a bomb squad and I'm going to go with a 6-2 split. Why am I doing that? Because it's my team and I can do what I want. <laughs> okay, let's start in the number one jersey. And this is really, really easy, guys. Who wears the number one jersey? Osterant. He was there in 95 and he was again there in 07. And of course, I want to have a man in the number one jersey who is the first man, actually, to have won the Rugby World Cup twice. Easy selection. John Smith will be my hooker and CJ van der Linde will be my tight head. Let's have a look at the locks now. You've got Victor Matfield and Bucky's Boerta in 2007 and you've got Kurbis Visser and Hannes Stradom in 1995. I'm not counting Mark Andrews in this instance and that is because Mark played at 8th man in the final. He also played at number 8 in the semi-final against France. So in this instance I'm counting Mark as an 8th man rather than a lock. And with all due respect to Kurbis and Hannes, I also think that this makes my choice a little bit easier to make. I'm picking Victor Matfield and Bucky's Boerta as my starting locks. Okay, this is also potentially the part where you guys get your pitchforks out. Let me know in the comment section what you think. But we now have to select 6, 7 and 8. You got Skaltberger, Juan Smith and Dani Rousseau in 07. In 95 we have Francois Pinar, we have Ruben Kreer and Mark Andrews as previously noted. Now, Skalkberger is my choice at open side flank. Yes, he's my favorite Springbok as well, but I'm picking Skalk at six. I'm going to go with Ruben Kreer at seven, and Dani Rousseau will be my eight. Let me make it very clear that is not to say at all that I have anything against Francois, John, or Mark. And again, if Mark was a lock at the 1995 Rugby World Cup, and I know that he started in the lock position in the opening match against Australia and then later on in the tournament became a number eight, I do think my selection would be a lot more challenging in that instance. Keep your weapons of mass destruction handy, guys, because it's now time to choose our scrum half. Fourie Dupree versus Joost van der Westezen. I am picking Fourie Dupree. Nothing against Joost, he was a magnificent rugby player. He really was. Nobody could argue otherwise. I just think that Fareed Dupree is the best nine we've ever had. Joel Stransky will be my fly half. The centres are really difficult to choose as well. Henny LaRue was 12 in 1995 and we are comparing him now to Francois Stein who was 12 in 07. And I think they are different players, they play different roles and I've said this before, I actually think if you look at 1995 and then you come to 07 and then later on 2019 and now the modern era, I think that the role of the 12 might actually be the role in rugby that has changed more than any other. What Henny was asked to do is not what Francois was asked to do, and that is not what Damien Dialende is asked to do today. So very, very difficult to make a choice in this instance. But I think I'm going to go with Francois Stein. And then at outside centre, 
Yoppy Mulder, a wonderful rugby player, one of my favorite Springboks actually. But we are comparing him here, guys, to Jacques Ferry, who some might very well argue, and with a lot of credibility, is the best 13 the Springboks have ever had. And I think that that gives Jacques Ferry the edge over Yoppy Mulder. Now let's have a look at the wings. This isn't going to be easy either. You've got Peter Hendricks, who scored our first Rugby World Cup try. You've got Chester Williams, who scored four tries against Western Samoa. And then you've got Brian Abana, who was the leading try scorer in the 2007 World Cup. And I think it's because of that achievement that I'm going to pick Brian Habana. Now the right wing is an incredibly difficult one for me. You've got James Small, who was my favorite player at the time. I loved James Small. Everything about him, the passion, the pace, every single aspect of James Small's play was something that I loved. When I was a little boy, I wanted to be James Small. But we're comparing him here to J.P. Peterson, a man who scored tries for fun at the 07 World Cup. And even though James Small did a magnificent defensive job on Jonah Lomu in the 1995 final, J.P. Peterson was superb as a defensive player in the number 14 jersey for the Springboks as well. In fact, you could argue that when it comes to defense, J.P. might be the best right wing the Springboks have had. He also scored a lot of tries in that 07 World Cup, whereas James Small didn't score a try in 1995. And it is for that reason that I'm picking J.P. Peterson as my number 14. How on earth do I select a fullback, guys? I've got Percy Montgomery, a man who was a goal-kicking machine. I mean, this guy didn't miss a kick uh, in 2007. And you're comparing him with Andre Hubert, the Rolls-Royce of fullbacks. I'm going to say this. Because I've already got Joel Stransky on my team, who will be my first choice goal kicker, and I've got Francois Stein, who can take kicks, I don't need Percy Montgomery for his goal kicking in my starting 15. And that is why I'm going to pick Andre Hubert as my fullback. And I also think that the courage that Andre showed playing the semi-finals and the final with a broken hand, remember he was wearing that special glove, I think that that may be just gives Andre the edge. And I'm also aware that there could be some serious hypocrisy here because I might actually do another video where I pick a combined team and the choice might be between Andre and Percy and I actually end up going with Percy. And that just shows you how difficult it is to make these selections. All right, I promised you that I would have a bench with a 6-2 split. Let's look at what my bomb squad looks like. Barley Swart, Chris Rousseau, Yanni Duplessis. That'll be the front row. I'm going to have Kurbis Visser and Mark Andrews on the bench. Now, I know I said that Mark Andrews was a number eight, and he'll probably come on in the number eight position, but I can move him into the second row as well, if needs be, and I probably will do that because Juan Smith is my sixth forward on the bench. Urs van der Westhuizen and Percy Montgomery complete my bomb squad, and John Smith will captain the team. I have no doubt that you agree or strongly disagree with this team that I've selected. Well, let me know who you would put in your dream team in the comment section down below. See you next time.